My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season three of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Oh, let me just, you know what, I'm just going to replace. My batteries are just at one bar. Ding, 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 winners all around. (laughs) I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to sisters and podcasters, Beatrice and Rosemary McCabe. My dad got out, opened the door and went, get off the driveway, you stupid idiot. (laughs) So so the parish priest never darkened the doorway again. And I feel like that set the tone. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. Like there really is such a broader leeway for the second child. I think I resented her for having not wanted to be my friend for all those years. And I think I kind of held a grudge about that. And in a new twist, I'll be delving a little further back with the help of our sponsors, Find My Past, the family history experts. Wow, sure, go on. I'm, I'm excited and also worried. <laughs> Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Beatrice and Rosemary grew up in Ireland, but now live near each other in the States. Rosemary joined her sister at the start of the pandemic, and their brilliant podcast, Not Without My Sister, was born out of lockdown chats in Indiana. In this episode, we talk about leaving Ireland, their maternal but irrepressible mother and strict dad, about depression and also the Catholic Church. But we started this time at the very beginning. My name is Rosemary McCabe. I am 37 years old and I'm the youngest of two daughters, um, much to my mother's chagrin. I think she would have liked to have about 16. I mean, not daughters necessarily, but kids. (laughs) My name is Beatrice McCabe and I am seven years older than my sister Rosemary. Wow, that's quite a big gap. Yeah, my parents had been trying to have her, um, or to have, I mean, not her specifically, to have any baby for a couple (laughs) of years. Um, I think it took them six years to have her, and then it took another six to have me, and then that was that. Dad, who has zero patience with kids, claims that he also wanted lots of kids, but I think it was more, (laughs) it's an easy claim to make when you never actually had to be put to the test. And I think they went through, you know, a process of figuring out why they weren't getting pregnant and being very upset about it and trying to do X and Y and Z, and they had just started... Uh, looking into the adoption process when they had been and then they stopped. Was that part of the mythology in your family or did you not know about it until you were older? I think I knew about it all along because because um, my mom used to run a an Irish language play group and she's like a dog and a squirrel when she sees a baby you know what I mean she's like immediately gravitates towards the baby how old is your baby oh he's gorgeous she's gorgeous you know this kind of thing at the time she was more religious than she is now and she used to be like but but, you know holy god gave me you two and I suppose I had to be happy with that (laughs) so you're ordained children let's just put it that way we're we're miracles although Beatrice likes to remind me she's more of a miracle than I am even though we were these two miracles that came along, my mom always told a story about, she, she always told us that we were the left behinds in the hospital. We were the second choices. And that, you know, she tells the story about how the doctors went around and begged somebody to take these hideous babies. And eventually, you know, she said, well, listen, if nobody will have them, I suppose I'll take them home. So I don't know that she really learned a lot <laughs> on this journey of, gonna... of miracles. <laughs> That's quite... um. I mean, there's quite a lot of unpacking to do there, really. Well, I know. And I I said it to my own kids recently. Like, you know, I was just thinking, like, I'm grand. I'm very well adjusted, allegedly. And uh, so I said it in the car to one of my kids who promptly burst into tears. And I was like, "Uh oh, it's obviously not as funny as I thought it was. (laughs) 
Ireland in the sort of what um, mid 80s is a different place maybe to America in 2022 yeah I think there's also you know there's a resilience to growing up any time outside of now where it is you know more the helicopter parenting and like don't say anything to upset your kids and be nice to your kids and and my mother certainly did not get that memo (laughs) and what about her religion then what was that like when you were growing up was it stricter and then got less strict or was she already not that strict by the time you came along she talked about religion you know in a sense that she'd be like oh you know that's up to holy God and, or not even holy God, I kind of say that now as a joke, but like, <laughs> that's up to God. And <laughs> like, we, we went to mass kind of most Sundays. And when when it came time to make my communion and Beatrice's as well, actually, we were given a choice, which was very unusual for um, kind of chill. I don't think anybody else in my class was given a choice. And of course, I was like, I want the dress and I want the money. It was my main, probably in <laughs> actually not in that order. It was like, I want the money and I want the dress. And um, But the part that I find funny is I say, like, I can't believe you don't go to mass anymore. And she'll say, well, you're not in the house anymore. I'm like, but I didn't want to go to mass. (laughs) (laughs) So it was for your benefit that she went. Exactly, exactly. Like we were Catholics on paper, therefore we went to mass. I don't really remember like being encouraged to say my prayers at night or any of the other stuff that came with being Catholic. I think it was just like going to mass and doing confession, which in hindsight is weird. I think dad played a big part of it because he's very non-religious, like to the point of being anti-religion. You know, he's an alleged libertarian. When they moved to their house in the country, um, they moved from Dublin out to the countryside. And mom thought, actually, I mean, what a bully. He brought her out to this spot of barren wasteland. And she went, oh, no, I wouldn't be interested in this. And he said, well, I've bought it. (laughs) And she burst into tears. Right. And then immediately and then immediately went about making the best of it. Well, it is what it is. You're up, you're up. You're in the wasteland. You're in the wasteland. (laughs) I I married him and he's my husband and we're in it together. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, had she married somebody else who was religious, it might be a very different um, consideration. But one of the first things that happened when they moved to the countryside was the parish priest came up to visit and they had just laid the the new driveway with cement and he walked up the driveway. My dad got out, opened the door and went, get off the driveway, you stupid idiot. (laughs) So, So the parish priest never darken the doorway again and I feel like that set the tone for how their their religious interaction was going to be in the parish <laughs> I love that, I love that story oh, poor dad must have been raging can you remember anything really silly rules your um, overly maternal mother had when you were small at home um, that seem funny now so in our house as an example we weren't allowed to watch ITV because it was surely going to ruin us it wasn't as good as BBC so I wonder oh my god that's so funny <laughs> we weren't allowed to watch Glen Row which is a very specific well I wasn't allowed to watch Glen Row which is this really weird kind of country soap that's on Irish television uh, but I think it was more just because she was like you won't get it it's just about like adults hanging around the town mm. um, but at the time I was like what salacious things are happening in Glen Row that my mother won't let me watch I don't know I mean I feel like they're because there was only one of us at a time so to speak and I mean at one point I, I <laughs> at one point recently I was like back when I was an only child Rosemary's like you were never an only child but I mean I was <laughs> and maybe yeah. considered myself to be also for a long time afterwards when this you know thing came along and, and stole all the attention from me it was a very low-key household we went to bed very early like when I think about it now but I was extremely well behaved so I mean, I probably just went straight to bed. So did Rosemary. Like, we were very good children. I think Dad was kind of cross. (laughs) (laughs) 
He was cross because you were good children or cross and strict? No, I think he was cross and strict, thus we became good children, well behaved. I was only thinking, I mean, I, as I woke up this morning to my four-year-old in the bed saying, good morning, mom. I was like, oh my God, I need to get this guy out of my bed. But my dad always tells the story of, well, when Beatrice was, I don't know, a year and a half old, she had a nightmare and came into our bedroom crying and wanted to get into the bed. And your mother scooted over in the bed and I said, get back to your own bed. And he went back to your own bed. And you never came back in again. And I was like, of course I never came back in again. I was like, monsters are in that room. <laughs> it's a different, as we as we reflected before, Ireland in the, or anywhere in the 80s was different yeah. to now, right? Uh, and honestly, finally, this ha- is my dad still in 2022, to be fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was she like as a little sister? Uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> don't tell her this. I don't have too many memories of her, I think. I wasn't that aware of her like she was just a little sister because we were so uh, different in age I think that it just wasn't really a consideration we didn't do anything together like family holidays etc but everything else we did was very uh, separated by age the time I was kind of five or six or seven and really really wanted to be playing with her and her friends she absolutely did not want to play with me at all and I remember uh, letting her play with my Barbie dolls and not killing her so I feel like that was very generous of me I think that's almost saintly, actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I kind of do remember my mom being like, oh, let your sister come and hang out with you kind of thing. But I'm sure for Beatrice, like I can't imagine anything worse than being a preteen or a teenager and being like, oh, you know, your seven-year-old sister wants to come and hang out with you. So yeah. I feel for her now, but at the time I obviously only felt for myself. Yeah. I mean, when you're the little sister and you're trying to catch up, that's quite a big thing. It's quite a big deal. You feel sort of misplaced, I think. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I ever, I think I was very, uh, quite a precocious and like self-possessed little child. So I don't think I ever felt misplaced. I just was like outraged that she wouldn't let me play. You know, I was like, she's being so ridiculous. I mean, I just want to, and I was kind of, I didn't ever really get upset. I think I just got annoyed. So does that mean then that um, she sort of would leave one school and you would join it and you were always doing exactly. that thing? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was there what's it called baby infants and senior infants or junior infants and senior infants and she was in fifth class and sixth class while while I was in those two so we were in the same school for those two years do you remember that little bit where you crossed over in infant school when she came into the playground my mom at the time was a teacher in the school and teaching uh, kindergarten basically or you know um babies I remember a small feeling of like oh here comes your one again like the favorite because Rosemary is definitely the favorite and I definitely oh, remember really? that you know that came to the fore as well in school I was traipsing through surviving you know fending for myself and Rosemary was hiding behind mom's skirts in my opinion like this was my memory of it my perception she's the favorite then is that a sort of acknowledged fact in the family a hundred percent except by mom who says no she isn't and then I go okay she isn't well maybe she is they're so alike though my mom and Rosemary are so alike so she's basically admiring herself You've got it all worked out. I like it. I like the I like the psychology of this. We look very similar to one another. Like people have asked us, "Are we twins?" Before, and I have been walking down the street in Dublin, and like a stranger to me has approached me and gone, "Oh my god, are you Beatrice McCabe's sister?" I mean, we've always been very attuned to one another and very similar. So, like one time when she lived in Italy, I came to visit her, and I arrived to the airport, and she came to meet us, and we were both wearing the same top from H and M that we'd bought in different H and Ms in different countries at different times. <laughs> you know, without any reference to one another. Oh my God, we are so alike. We, (laughs) only yesterday, uh, my dad recently got his pilot's license, our dad, got his pilot's license and there was an article in The Guardian about a guy, 
something happened the pilot i think this was over florida in a small plane and the two passengers who had no flying experience had to take over and pilot the plane home so i texted it to we have like a group family chat and i texted i said dad all this time you're pretending this is hard right <laughs> had a good laugh to myself rosemary texts do you not read i, I messaged this earlier with the exact same comment <laughs> Those are the moments where it's like, oh, my God, or when she's in the house and, you know, the kids do something and we both turn around and in the exact same tone of voice, say the exact same thing. And it is it. Those are the moments where you go, hmm, nature versus nurture. I think that's interesting with kids with a big age gap as well, because you say you have nothing in common and you're not in the same life stage at any given point. And then you become adults and then you realise that what formed you like the genes and the environment and the parents and the house and the country and the landscape is so strong. It's unbelievably so strong. I mean, even silly things like, you know, um, we both love a good pun, right? So we sit around and like the things that make you laugh as well, I think are so obscure and, and so linked. You know, you wouldn't have been in the same room necessarily hearing these jokes, but they obviously were, were you know, threads of humour in your family that now resonate years later and nobody else everyone else is like what what are they even like that's not funny or maybe we just think we're funny and we're not (laughs) (laughs) I think you're funny (laughs) Beatrice said um, Beatrice said that you're definitely the favorite and it's acknowledged and that you're just like your mum and that she had to sort of put up with that when she was growing up do you do you feel like the favorite Rosemary no definitely think Beatrice no I know I do feel like the favorite um We we kind of we kind of talk about this a lot. I think being the youngest and especially younger by kind of six years, I was definitely doted on as a child. And then I think actually like not to make light of it, but suffering from depression is a good one for getting extra sympathy and care from your parents. So I think they definitely have felt like they've had to look after me a bit more than like Beatrice moved away and was very independent. And I wasn't. (laughs) Okay, I see. Two weeks after I graduated, I left and I was 21, 22. So she would have been 13 or 14. And um, I went to Italy and I used to come back then. And, you know, for anybody who's lived abroad, I think there's this common experience of you come home and, you know, there are great moments of it, but you expect that everybody else is going to be equally excited to see you as you are to see them. And in fact, they have their normal lives and their normal day to day. And I would be so excited about coming home. I'm going to do this, going to see Rosemary. We're going to hang out. We're going to... And I remember one trip I came home and uh, and I was like, what are we going to do? She goes, well, I don't know about you, but I promised I'd bring so-and-so's cousin to the mall. So I'll be gone for five hours. I'd bring somebody else to the beach and I'll be gone for three days and I'll bring somebody else. So I might see you on the Friday. And this really bothered me. You know, this really rankled. And I remember saying to my dad, like, what is, you know, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? She doesn't want to hang out with me. And he said, you know what? I'm sick of listening to this. You just need to realize that maybe the two of you will just never be friends. Just accept it and get on with it. It really shocked me. And I was so upset that this was even an option, you know, because I was expecting, I always wanted us to be great friends, even though we weren't, because we just didn't have, like we were at totally different um, moments in our lives. This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. The census captures the details of every person in England and Wales on the night of the 19th of June, 1921. From those living in poverty to the King George V to the peculiar goings-on at the home of Mr Arthur Conan Doyle, who appears to have been holding a seance with a collection of mystics and psychics. Is there a well-known name in your family history? Where were they and what were they doing that night? Find out in the 1921 census, exclusively available online. 
at findmypast.co.uk. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So when did you guys become proper friends then? If you were kind of chasing her through school and she was not really wanting you to hang out with her cool teenage friends, when did you become this duo of sisters who love to hang out together? I would say since I became an adult properly, and I know know kind of on paper that's 18, for me it probably was late 20s. But I think I was a bit, um, I think I resented her for having not wanted to be my friend for all those years. And I think I kind of held a grudge about that. I mean, I wasn't necessarily aware of it at the time, but looking back now, I'm like, okay, you know, I think I was a little bit aggro towards her. And I think that was why. I think it was when she came to visit in, when I lived in Italy and she came over for six weeks. It was probably the first time that we actually spent quality time away from our parents, which I think was also important because when you're with your parents, you know, you default to that, who yeah. I am when I'm a baby, who I was. Like even now, my parents come over and I find myself, you know, going, eh. I just want to, like, can't believe they did that. You know, stuff that doesn't bother me <laughs> when I'm being the adult. But when I'm reverting to the child, you know, those those things come to the fore again. And then really since I moved, so I moved to the US in March of 2020. Spectacular time. Oh, God. Um, yeah. And <laughs> it's really only since then that we've become, or I suppose that I've realized how close we were and I've realized how important she is to me. And, you know, I hope vice versa. But I think before then, because she was so far away, you kind of, I really try not to want what I can't have or to think about what I can't have. So I think I kind of tried to keep a distance from her in a way because I was like, well, she lives thousands of miles away. She's never moving home. I'm never moving over to her or so I thought. So there's no point in kind of wishing that we were best friends because then I'll just miss it. You know what I mean? Like Mm. then I'll be sad that we can't be because we're not together and we're in a different time zone. It's difficult to connect. Whereas now that I'm here, I mean, she's like the best friend I've ever had, you know, in the sense of we see each other so often, we talk so often, we talk about everything. You know, we're 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 closer than I ever would have imagined we we could or would be. She said that maybe she thought she resented you when you were an adult and with the big age gap and because she had those sort of memories of not really being wanted when you were a teenager and she was an annoying little sister. And then it was just such bliss when you became you know, proper adults and proper friends. I always think it's it's hard to have two kids. Because you have like two extremes, whereas when you have three kids, you have two people to compare yourself to, you know, well, I could be good at maths, but one of them is maybe amazing, but the other one's not amazing. So it's like every there's kind of a balance to, you know, to play out among three people or one, but two is hard because one person's always either better or worse at something. Yeah. Versus like in bigger families, everybody's kind of an amalgamation of different traits and skills, but we have very different priorities, you know, and I I think, um, she felt very competitive, I think, um, about careers, because in her mind, I left Ireland and had a very glamorous career, like not necessarily about how much are you paid or, you know, but it was like my parents were very excited on my behalf. And that was a good seven years off for her. So there's always this kind of what am, what am I doing? Is it living up to it in her mind? Yeah. And then she also had a lot of struggles with depression that she's very open about. You know, she talks about it a lot. That That's kind of hard when 
especially my parents did not necessarily understand depression. So they, that was a big struggle in, in our entire, like within our entire family dynamic. Yeah, it upsets the system, doesn't it? Something like that when it's not understood well by parts of it. It's, it's quite dividing, I think. It is, it is. When I was talking to Beatrice Rosemary, she talked about your depression and how that affected you and also how that affected your relationship as sisters. And I wonder if you could sort of tell me from your point of view what, what that has been like. I don't think that affected our relationship at all. No, I'm only messing. <laughs> I was diagnosed when I was 23, 24, I think, and I've been kind of on and off medication since then. Um, I don't know necessarily that that this is specific to our relationship as sisters, but it made my relationships with a lot of people difficult because there were a lot of times where I just didn't want to engage with anything because I just didn't feel up to it. And I think a lot of the time that can come off as, oh, you're being lazy or you're not making an effort or, you know, you just never want to hang out with me or whatever it is. For the person who's not depressed, it's hard to, and for the person who is depressed, it's hard to pick apart which of these emotions is depression and which of these is just me being in a bad mood. Yeah. You know, it's hard to have that empathy the whole time, even though obviously it's not happening to you, but it's hard to go, oh, she's making a big deal out of this, but I should give her the benefit of the doubt because she is depressed. And then does it become, you know, this I think is the debate we had for many years. Does it become then kind of the excuse? And that was, that was some of the dynamic in our family that my mom, I think, struggled the most with understanding that this is a chemical imbalance. It's not a choice. And definitely there are some times when I was just being lazy. Do you know what I mean? So it's hard because like everybody has moments where you're just being lazy or you just don't want to do something or, you know, you kind of said you'd do something with somebody and you're suddenly like, oh, I'm tired and it's, you know, it's been a long week. But then there are other kind of debilitating moments where you're like, I literally cannot imagine leaving the house or I cannot imagine getting out of bed or whatever it was. And I think it's still, it still is hard, you know, but there was a lot of, especially because I was abroad, there was a lot of communication behind the scenes, maneuvering, making sure Rosemary was okay. And I mean, I think, I think as well, like in the early days, I didn't really know what was going on. So it wasn't something that I could necessarily put into words and explain exactly, you know, how I was feeling. I just knew I was feeling a bit shit and I probably ended up taking that out on people in ways that weren't particularly fair or generous. Mm. For mom, I think I think it was hard because it's a different day now, you know, mental health is so much more freely spoken about and yet still extremely stigmatized. But that was 20 years ago. Sorry, Rosemary, 15 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Our mom is such a positive person. Like I don't, she's actually just like my my own eight-year-old. I mean, <laughs> I feel like she just inserted a bit of herself into him on one of the trips. <laughs> God bless him. Like, you're like a 72-year-old woman. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, she, like, she wakes up in the morning. She's like, good morning. When you're up, you're up. Get on with it. That happened. Don't worry about it. So there's not a lot of kind of, you know, analysis. Now, that's not to say she doesn't do that behind the scenes, but that's not who she presents in the world as, you know? And I think it's just very hard for her to wrap her head around. That's not everybody's experience of the world kind of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it's easier to be the person being cared about than the people doing the caring, especially as siblings. That's something that's come up on this podcast before. Yeah, I'm sure for the people though who have the problems, it doesn't feel easier, right? No. <laughs> you know, it's no, but but it can. Yeah, but it can build up a lot of resentment, too. I mean, because I think at a certain point you're going, you know, all you do is care about that person. What about me? You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that necessarily for myself, although I'm sure there, I can't remember them now, but I'm sure there have been moments of like, okay, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I get that she's depressed, but are you ever going to look over here at me? 
Yeah. But it's, and as you say, exacerbated by having just two. Exactly. But I mean, it's like we always, you know, I, I talk about it with my own kids. It's the good child gets no attention. <laughs> I mean, the well-behaved, the no problem, the low problem child. You have to be really conscious of that too, because you don't want to punish people for being low maintenance. So how would you describe um, Rosemary's character? I think she's very um, action oriented. Is that is that a characteristic or is that just an action? It can be. Um, I frequently get very kind of um, overwhelmed maybe is not the precise word I'm looking for but with her incredible curiosity for life and for you know she'll come across an article and then find one word in it that's particularly interesting and the next thing you know she'll be reading a book about like ornithology or you know n- mm. not exactly that's kind of a, a bad example but <laughs> I'm not going to just... test on her bird knowledge don't worry <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how she would characterize me I'm, I'm kind of like, I think she would be nicer about me than I would be about myself. So so in a way, I'd be like, oh, would she call me lazy? But she would never use that word. So I actually don't know what she would say about me. I do think she spends probably, maybe not so much now that she has her baby, but like up for the first 35 years of her life, a lot of time reflecting on herself for good or for bad. Like it's what makes her a good writer, but it's also that that kind of tips into insecurity, you know, but she's also very confident. She's like, more confident than I am like she stand up in front of a group of people and talk about any topic under the sun mm. she says she doesn't have very many boundaries she'll share anything with anybody <laughs> correct <laughs> correct <laughs> I remember being I remember being uh, sent away from the dinner table one time because I randomly just piped up and said did you know a pig's orgasm lasts like however long seven minutes or something and I was literally sent to my room and I was like, I don't know why that's so bad. But it's just I'm a fact. Like, very like, yeah, I think that's probably like quite uh, quite an Irish Catholic, like, do we don't talk about sex, especially at the table. Especially pig sex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair, fair. You know, I think though there really is, like, the, I was only talking about this with my husband, like there really is such a broader leeway for the second child. The fact that, you know, she was even still in the house after that like that would never but I mean I I, I can't even ever imagine that I would have said it but the B it never would have been remotely tolerated that would have been a weeks long punishment but I mean by now my mom is so worn down by all of these talks of you know bodily functions and sexual mannerisms etc that she kind of just rolls her eyes now and says oh Rosemary but you know it's the shame of it's the shame of her life (laughs) (laughs) funny when you're like that because I sort of am too and Kirsten O'Brien who came on this podcast said that a therapist diagnosed her as an early discloser so, so she'd go up to somebody and be like hi hi I've had terrible tummy trouble this morning um nice to meet you kind of thing and I thought yeah I identify with that it's all all or nothing oh that's interesting I've never heard that term before an early discloser mm. yeah I'd say I probably am that person as well how could you wind her up still dress her buttons poor Rosemary god bless her it's <laughs> it's extremely gullible is the wrong word but like she'll make a statement about something that sounds amazing I'll say that sounds terrible and she'll say does it does it sound terrible I'm like no obviously not so you can really not so much wind her up but you can definitely lead her down the garden path very easily and then at the end she'll say this you know I feel like I'm committing to something kind of ridiculous here and you're like yeah I don't even know what you're talking about this is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so she gets kind of annoyed by that <laughs> oh I mean there are several ways if I in any way bring up the fact that during her thesis year, she was like quite unhinged. She gets really annoyed and is like, you guys have just invented this. I was fine. You you know, you've talked about this, and but she was quite unhinged. 
Uh, no comment. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know that I went completely mad. I got broken up with by text by my boyfriend like three months before I was graduating. And then I had like, you know, I don't know that I had a ton of sympathy at home. Mm. And I had a lot of clothes to make. And I played a lot of sad music on repeat at top volume. <laughs> seems and, legit to me. I mean, as you do. <laughs> or actually, when she gets annoyed, and like this happens to me too, but it doesn't annoy me as much. When she gets annoyed, her forehead moves back an entire inch. And if you kind of point it out to her, you're like, oh, you know, then she'll be like, shut up. You mean like a hairline Stupid almost goes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, her, her forehead goes from totally normal to Helena Bonham Carter in Alice in Wonderland. Brilliant reference. I know it well. So this podcast is all about, as we've been discussing, like the family stories in your own nuclear family. But this season of the podcast is sponsored by Find My Past, the family history people. And they have looked into your family history that goes back like really quite a long way. I've got about five pages of research, which I will send you, which will be lovely to look at. Oh, wow. But I just wanted to tell one little story, if that's OK, about somebody in your family that I hope you don't know too much about. Wow, sure, go on. I'm I'm excited and also worried. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um. I think you gave the find my past people the name Philip McCabe. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He is both our dad and our grandfather. Okay, so Philip McCabe, it says here, descends from a strong Irish heritage on both his paternal and maternal sides. His hmm. mother's father, which I love all of this, and there's pictures and everything to support it. Henry Lytton. Do you know anything about Henry yes. Lytton? Ah, and you know where he worked. When he no. was a, a working man, he worked at the Guinness Brewery. Um, so back in 1910 and 1911, he also represented, which is brilliant because there's a photo, um, the cricket and football teams of the Guinness Brewery in Dublin. Oh, hilarious. That's yes. actually really interesting because our parents' house is now right next to the cemetery where Arthur Guinness is buried. So Guinness links abound. And what about your parents? I mean, I want to talk more about this when you were back together, but what about your parents? The fact that. Um, Rosemary then joined you over in the States and you are their two children. Yeah, I think that's really hard for them. So, you know, like I said, my my mom comes from a big family and they spend a huge amount of time together. Like they were our best friends growing up, my cousins. You know, we spent all of our time together. We spent Christmas Day together, every holiday together, every weekend. My mom is over in one of my cousin's houses today, just, you know, seeing how she is. And we've talked about would they move over here, obviously visas aside, etc. And then I think it's hard to leave your own friends and, and her sibling group, you know, mm. um, because her family is still all alive and well. And actually very few of our extended family did emigrate. But I think it's really hard for them now because I think you look around and if my mom, my mom likes to likes to cheer up any occasion by saying, what's it all about? You know, so I think she, you know, she is doing a lot of that now. Like, what's it all about? You have these kids and and it was always quite selfishly a great reassurance to me and it was a great easing of my own guilt to know that rosemary was there if anything happened and now i worry about like what if i mean and at the same time it was very selfish because you know if something does happen she's there to take care of it and i don't have to necessarily fly over immediately or take time off work or you know and eventually when they do you know die like everybody will um how you know who's going to take care of the house how are we going to sort out the furniture all these ridiculous but I mean, also we joke because we actually had a, a bet last time. How long will it take mom to talk about her funeral once she gets off the plane? She's always talking <laughs> about her funeral. <laughs> she got the dossier, the sort of instructions. Uh, Christmas songs. <laughs> okay. Christmas songs at a funeral. Yes, yeah. is... she loves them. Well, 
that's her choice then absolutely <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> that's true and when you think about yourselves living in, Amer- in America now as you do together do you imagine this is where you guys are going to grow old together as sisters yeah I feel like Rosemary has ruined that for me because my plan was always to go back oh I see I, I was I was just about to say nicely that I, I, I hope that wherever we are we end up growing old growing old together whether that's here or there uh I suppose for me, it's it's more likely going to be here because not just that I'm here with my husband and our baby now, but that he also has his, you know, our two boys from his previous marriage and we won't be going anywhere particularly far from them anyway. Yeah. It makes you question because I definitely wanted to go home because my family was at home. Now that we're both here, I think it's more that my parents want to come here like we talked about earlier on. And I also wonder if I went home then what? You know, then Rosemary would be here. Is that a win? So I don't want to go back to Ireland and then have my kids all move back to the States because they feel more American than Irish either. So I feel like probably, yes, we are here, but whether we'll, but we'll stay in Fort Wayne together or whether we'll end up in different parts of the States, you know, TBD. Mm. It's quite an unusual story, sort of um, emigrating and then your sister coming along with you, or not one that I've heard of. And it's a lovely one, but it seems quite unusual. You're it so is. lucky, is what she's well, trying to say. It you is. Are. It is lovely. It is lovely. I mean, there are moments where I think, God, can I not do anything by myself? But it is lovely. (laughs) This harks back to me being a kid, being like, I just want to play with Beatrice. I've just been chasing her around for my whole life. (laughs) She has not. (laughs) Thank you to Rosemary and Beatrice. To see some really sweet pictures of them as kids and to find a link to their podcast, head to our webpage, relativelypodcast.com. She used to call me Beatrice which was very unflattering because I do have a propensity to going extremely red when doing any activity whatsoever. (laughs) I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors for this season of Relatively, Find My Past, for digging into their extraordinary records and uncovering the surprising and often revelatory family stories, some of which you've heard today. Find My Past is the only place online where you can access the 1921 census. So if you want to start your family tree or add colour to what you know already, then findmypast.co.uk is the place to do it. If you've enjoyed this episode, there are other chats with drag queen Davina DeCampo, Esther Ranson, Sheku Kana Mason and lots more at relativelypodcast.com. Please do rate and review this podcast or if you've really enjoyed it, how about sharing it with your brother or sister? Thank you to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use her amazing song. This is a pocket production and sound design is by Nick Carter at mixsonics.com. Tradition of love and heat Stand by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you?